<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Hey, friends. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. And we want to make sure that you know about all the other exciting ways to get more exclusive content from The Bill Press Show. We're on Patreon. Did you know that? On Patreon. So to go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash BP show to get videos that nobody else gets. All we ask is five bucks a month and you get access to daily commentary. And every week we put up a special interview just for our Patreon subscribers. Hey, it's a great way to support progressive media and get your hands on some fun, new, exclusive content. Thanks so much for supporting the show by going to patreon.com slash BP show. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Donald Trump kicks off the NATO summit by insulting everybody who's there, even before he got there. And what did we expect? What do you say? Hello, everybody. Happy Wednesday. It is Wednesday, July 11. Good to see you today, and thank you for joining us. We've got uh, lots and lots to talk about. Yes, on the NATO front, it looks like it's going to be as contentious, as bad as we feared the transatlantic brawl, which Donald Trump uh, looks forward to before he goes uh, and uh, has his great big buddy-buddy uh, meeting, his kumbaya meeting with Vladimir Putin in Helsinki uh, at the end of the week. Great to see you today. Uh, and uh, wherever you are in this great land of ours, we appreciate the fact that uh, you um, make us your morning offering uh, to catch up on the news of the day and, of course, to express your opinion about the news of the day. As always, a great lineup of guests joining us in our studio right here uh, on on Capitol Hill. Uh, but as we always tell you, whether you are listening or watching or joining us online, you are our most important guest of all. You keep up with the news the way we do uh, all day long, every day. Uh, so tell us what you think about What's happening? Your comments on the news of the day. Always welcome on Twitter, at BP Show. Uh, yes, even though he's in Europe, Donald Trump already tweeting today. He never, never stops, so neither should you. Send us your comments on Twitter, at BP Show. Uh, and we have a, uh, uh, a lot to talk about today, which we will definitely uh, get into. Uh, first, a couple of those uh, off-the-wall stories. Uh, we usually count on Peter Ogburn for those. He's uh, off this week. Uh, so thanks again to uh, Ray Rogers for stepping up to the plate and uh, wearing Peter's hat. And thankfully, not wearing Peter's beard. Um, <laughs> good morning, Bill. Hello, Ray. All right. Everything good? Do we have our little TikTok yeah. music or whatever we have there? That sound, sound system? Here we go. Uh, yes, indeed. Uh, where do we go? Stories that you should know about. Um, 
Well, this is interesting story. You know, I love potato chips, and I love buying potato chips. Mm -hmm. I buy, you buy them on the plane, and you see how they puff up, and they, and they, you know, like, looks like they're going to explode. Well, um, it, it's probably happened to you as it's happened to me. You open a bag of potato chips, and you get a huge pocket of air. I know. Right? That is the worst. Yeah, right. Well, now um, you don't have to cry anymore because... Uh, somebody's finally done a study. They probably got taxpayer dollars to do this study as okay. to which chips are filled with them, which brands are filled with the most chips and which ones are filled with the most air. Mm -hmm. Okay. And it, honestly, this shook out exactly how I would have imagined. Really? Yeah. So with Fritos, it's only 19% air. That's the least amount of air per package. But that's always yeah. that always seems like the case, right? You open a bag of Fritos, it's Fritos like nice and dense and packed. They they are right. So the ones that have the most chips, if you've got the percentages here, you can add them yeah. in. Uh, the top uh, top three filled with the most chips are Fritos, Pringles, and Tostitos. Yep, I think okay. that that's all. Right. Be in line. I'd say that. And yeah. fr Fritos, uh, I like Lay's potato chips. So I don't know. I know different occasions though. I like them both. Uh, but anyhow, Fritos is top of the list. Nine, only 19% air, right? Mm -hmm. That's 81% chips. That's good. The least filled bags, Cheetos, Ruffles. What? That this really pisses me off. This broke my heart because I, I love. I do too. I love Ruffles, and I, that really pisses me yep. off. And pita chips. Yep. But that that one actually kind of surprised me too because the pita chips seem pretty densely packed, like like the Fritos do. But who knows? Uh, but it does point out uh, that one thing we should know is that that air uh, is not completely useless. It does serve a purpose. It's actually nitrogen, a safe gas that preserves the product's freshness and protects it from all the handling it goes through during shipping. So when you pop it, open it, and you get that little puff of air, uh, that's actually good. Live video, Phil's commentary, the best clips from the show, all in one place. YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Yeah, it hasn't even started yet, and Donald Trump has already uh, blown up the NATO summit by walking in with both guns a-blazing, just like an American out of the far west, just like the cartoon characters that they show about Americans uh, in Europe. He's living up to that image uh, blazing away and taking aim at Germany, taking aim at the UK, and taking aim at the EU. This is before the meeting, folks, even gets started. What do you say? Good to see you today. Hello, hello, hello. On this Wednesday, July 11, 2018, it is the Bill Press Show. Welcome, welcome to the program, and thank you for joining us wherever you are in this great land of ours. We are there right alongside of you. Uh, online on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show, where, of course, you will not forget to check out our podcast as well, because you can't always, uh, we know, uh, pick up the entire two hours, time for the entire two hours every morning, uh, but later in the day you can catch up with what you missed or re-listen re to some of the things that you really liked, and join us over the weekend with some special broadcast as well. Uh, if you go to our podcast uh, on anywhere you just look up the Bill Press Show, anywhere you normally go to your podcast, or quick 
quick ticket, go to uh, BillPressShow.com. We're also, of course, with you on Free Speech TV, coast to coast and uh, statewide in Indiana. We join you on the radio on Indiana Talks and in the greater Chicago, Illinois area. On WCPT, the big, strong, great, progressive voice of Chicago. Again, thank you for joining us. And um, I'll start with a little bit of uh, breaking news. Hold on one second. I've got to reach in my briefcase here. Hmm. What could this be? I'm on pins and needles, Bill. What's that? What could the breaking news be? I'm on pins and needles. All right, so the little bit of breaking news here. Sorry about that interruption. Uh, so you know, you've heard me talk about um, my uh, new book, Bill Press, From the Left, A Life in the Crossfire. And if you don't know all about it, go to our website, BillPressShow.com, and right up on the top you will find out uh, all about it and uh, how you get a, can get a chance to read that book. Uh, here is the breaking news that uh, before long— uh, very, very quickly, uh, actually, that will no longer be my latest book because the new book is coming out in September and for the first time ever, ever, ever. Uh, here it is, and here's what it looks like. The new book, Trump Must Go. Trump Must Go. There it is. Wow. And that's the cover. The top 100 reasons to dump Trump and one reason for keeping him. Aha. That's intriguing. Book's not available yet. This is just the, they call it the galley, what you get from the publisher, uh, the first crack at it. But this has already been uh, updated because there was a lot of news that happened since this. Uh, so uh, just uh, all I'm saying is... <laughs> Keep your eyes and ears tuned here because pretty soon we'll tell you how you can get get your copy. Actually, I think the publication date is September 11, but they'll be available for uh, for our our team uh, ahead of that. But I'm very excited about this. Trump must go. The top 100 reasons that tr to dump Trump and one reason for keeping him. How about that? Bill, that looks great. And, and I have a great. question. Was it the easiest or the hardest book that you've ever had to write? I feel like Easy in some respects, almost writes itself hard, because how did you narrow it down to 100? Um, I didn't have to write this book. This book wrote itself. <laughs> you just sat down, and it just— This book yep. wrote itself. It the hardest the thing about this was keeping up with the flow of reasons for dumping to end, coming up with the top 100. There are probably 1,001 reasons. Every right? day. And Yes, and you <laughs> add new ones every day. Uh, in fact, we're going to work out a way that you can add new ones every day mm. because there's never going to be a time when it cuts off and says, there are no more reasons for dumping Donald Trump. No, every day there will be a new reason. Uh, but anyhow, very excited about this. Wanted to share the uh, share the good news with all of you. Trump must go. So uh, keep your eyes out for that. Uh, now, meanwhile, yeah, Trump must go. I wish he hadn't gone to NATO. But already it is it is uh, it, it's 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 turned out. It looks like it's going to be the transatlantic brawl that we feared uh, at NATO because he started out before he even got there uh, by talking about uh, attacking. Well, first of all, he attacked the EU, he attacked Germany, he attacked the UK, 
uh, on the EU. He just said basically uh, 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 n none of them are – we've heard this. This is the broken record, and we'll hear some of these clips from him in just a second. But again, he just retweeted again before he left. They're not paying enough. We're paying too much. They're not paying enough. It's unfair. I mean, broken record. We know that. And we've said before, it's true. They, they have to pay more. It's their land, after all. They're right on the front lines against Russia. Um, it's important that we keep this NATO alliance going. Uh, but they all agreed that they would pay 2%. Only four countries, including the United States, are paying more than 2%. And the rest of them have to catch up. And they're starting to work on that. Okay, Donald Trump, you made your point. Fine. Boom. Move on. Anyhow, he had to get that attack out again. Then he turned around and said about Theresa May, oh, her country's in turmoil. And by the way, should she um, should she stay, be allowed to stay or not? And Donald Trump didn't give her any support. He just said, well, that's up to her. That's up to the people of England, whether or not she gets to stay. And, by, and then he turned around and praised Boris Johnson, her chief rival, who just quit as foreign secretary uh, earlier this week. Uh, and then he turned around and attacked Germany. This is, again, before the meeting even starts and said Germany was a captive of Russia because they buy some oil from Russia, so therefore uh, how dare they ask us to help them defend them against Russia when they are uh, by helping the Russian economy by, by buying oil from them. Uh, in all three uh, cases then, he came out swinging before he even got, uh, got there. So this 70-plus years alliance our Atlantic alliance, the NATO alliance, uh, developed at the end of the closed war in this show of unity against the threat of then of the Soviet Union and continuing important today against the threat of, the, uh, of, of Russia, which has already seized, invaded one country and seized part of it and still has troops in that country and has threatened, is a very real threat, ask the people of Estonia and Latvia. A uh, very real threat to the to the to the Baltics, uh, and um, that's why NATO is so important. Uh, Donald Trump seems committed and determined to just blow it up. That meeting today, uh, fear the worst and probably expect the worst. Again, here is Donald Trump before he left for Europe yesterday, saying, "Well, let's see." I got to go to Brussels for NATO. Then I have to go to London and meet, and a little golf in between. And then I meet with Vladimir Putin. He said, actually, Putin will probably be the best of all. So I have NATO. I have the UK, which is in somewhat turmoil. And I have Putin. Frankly, Putin may be the easiest of them all. Who would think? Who would think? Yeah. Who would? What the question is, who would think? that the president of the United States would dump on our allies in Germany and the UK and France and Spain and the Baltics and the Scandinavian countries and then say, no, I hate those guys. My buddy is Vladimir Putin. Just like he said, I hate those G7 guys, Justin Trudeau and the others. My buddy is Kim Jong-un. Uh, and then, as we, as we mentioned, once he got to Brussels, uh, before the meeting even started, uh, Donald Trump accusing Germany of being the basically a puppet for Russia. Germany, as far as I'm concerned, is captive to Russia because it's getting so much of its energy from Russia. Mm. Yeah. 
Uh, this is Donald Trump landing uh, in Brussels. And again, part, pardon me, he makes the point that um, they're not paying enough. We're paying too much. The United States is paying far too much, and other countries are not paying enough, especially some. So we're going to have a meeting on that. Uh, you know, again, give Donald, Trump, give Donald Trump that point. Of course those countries ought to be paying more. But, you know, there's more to the NATO summit than just repeating that over and over and over again. But you know what he's going to do today? He'll just lecture them about uh, and piss them off and, and just tell them once again, look, that uh, you got to pay more, you got to pay more. Okay, Barack Obama said that. That's why they made an agreement in 2014 uh, to uh, under Barack Obama in Wales where the country, Barack Obama, took that point to NATO, President Obama. Uh, they agreed to that point. They have started paying more. Donald Trump hardly invented that point. Uh, and he ought to realize that, that there's more to NATO than just what percentage uh, of their defense budget they happen to be paying uh, today, as long as they're going in the right direction. Uh, we mentioned uh, that his uh, slam at the EU on this point of uh, not paying more Donald Tusk is the president of the European Union, uh, and he fired back at Donald Trump yesterday, saying, uh, I thought a very, <laughs> making a very important statement. Uh, Donald Trump, you should be maybe grateful for the allies you have and appreciate the allies you have because... Um, there may not be that many of them left. Um, get the, see if we can hear Mr. Tusk here. He also uh, said, you know, when you go into a meeting like this with Vladimir Putin, it's important to know uh, who your friends are. Uh, yep, got a little technical problem here. So can we hear uh, Donald Tusk? Uh, Donald Tusk again saying... Uh, Appreciate your allies because you don't have that many. Dear America, appreciate your allies. After all, you don't have that many. Yeah, appreciate your allies. Allies, after all, you don't have that many. And again, uh, you're walking into a meeting with Vladimir Putin. Know who your friends are. It is always worth knowing who is your strategic friend and who is your strategic problem. Right. Uh, Chuck Schumer made a very important point, I thought, yesterday, looking at this meeting, that here's the problem. So remember during the campaign, Donald Trump was all anti-China, anti-China, anti-China. When I get there, man, we're going we're gonna to really crack down on China. And then President Xi comes down to Mar-a-Lago, and they just have this love fest, right? The big chocolate birthday cake and the whole deal. And he says, I've never had a better friend than President Xi of China. And then, you know, it's a whole, the first year of his presidency, slamming Kim Jong-un, rocket man, we're going to destroy North Korea. And then he sits down and with Kim Jong-un and says, oh, my God, now he's my new best friend. And what did we get out of that? Chuck Schumer points out, now as we look at Donald Trump get ready to sit down with yet another best friend, Vladimir Putin, he's got, he got rolled twice. He's probably going to get rolled again, Chuck Schumer. When the president met with President Xi, when the president met with Kim Jong-un, uh, they took him to the cleaners, it seems, and got what they wanted, and we didn't get much of what we wanted. Mm -mm. Didn't get much, didn't get anything out of the summit with uh, Kim Jong-un. So 
Uh, and what's really frightening about this upcoming meeting with Vladimir Putin is the White House has said uh, there's no particular agenda for this meeting. They're just two buds want to get together. And the president has said he wants it to be strictly one-on-one. Nobody else, no translator, because Vladimir Putin speaks well enough English, good enough English. Uh, no secretary of state, no diplomats, nobody, just the two of them one-on-one. I, I got to tell you, Vladimir Putin, this wily guy who's been around forever, and this buffoon, Donald Trump, you know that, that Vladimir Putin could pick his pockets and Donald Trump wouldn't even know, uh, wouldn't even know what was going on. Uh, and, of course, don't expect Donald Trump to say anything about, oh, by the way, um, what you did with the 26, in our 2016 elections, even though your aim was to help me, was wrong. We're not going to tolerate it. We're going to punish you for it. Uh, this is outrageous. You can't do this again. No, Donald Trump is still, he won't say anything about the 2016 election because he's already said, I asked him about it, and Vladimir Putin said they didn't do anything, so case closed. Even though, as we pointed out many times, all of our 17 intelligence agencies, and now the Senate Intelligence Committee have all said, yes, and the evidence is overwhelming that, yes, indeed, Russia did meddle in and interfered in the 2016 election for the purpose of helping Donald Trump. Donald Trump won't mention that. Of course, he won't mention the fact that Russia has this sent this poison agent to the U.K. Uh, to knock off a couple of former spies for the U.K., uh, in 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 uh, on their soil, which didn't work, uh, but two innocent civilians who happened to find some of the traces of this Russian poison got into it last week. One of whom has since has since died. He won't mention anything about that. Of course, he won't mention anything about Crimea. The White House has just basically said, "Yep, Russia invaded Ukraine. Yeah, Russia seized part of the Ukraine. So what? We're not going to do anything about it." So. The, the, as a, big a disaster as NATO is, could even be a bigger disaster, bigger disaster at the end of the week when the president finally gets together with Vladimir Putin. Meanwhile, <clears throat> back here at home, yes, Brett Kavanaugh, the president's nominee for the Supreme Court, arrived at the U.S. Capitol yesterday uh, with Mike Pence, uh, vice president, to start sitting down with some members of Congress. I thought it was very interesting that uh, Mitch McConnell, for example, McConnell ahead of time, <coughs> watching these Republicans fall over themselves to embrace uh, Brett Kavanaugh. But starting with Mitch McConnell, he had told the president ahead of time, we want to get your guy in before the end of the year, but uh, Kavanaugh is going to be the toughest of all. So we hope you'll pick somebody else. Don't pick Brett Kavanaugh because he's got too long of a paper trail and uh, these other guys would be more confirmable. That's what he said last week, yesterday, Mitch McConnell saying we could we that president trump could not have picked a better nominee the president really could not have done a better job of picking <laughs> an extraordinarily well qualified nominee i think the comments all over the country have been rolling in oh yeah and uh, what about that the rule my rule in 2016 that you can't confirm a senate a supreme court nominee while there's an election going on, because you have to let the people decide first, Mitch McConnell again saying, oh, this is different. That was presidential. This is midterms. We do have a pending off-year election, but we have frequently confirmed nominees in off-year elections. There are three of them currently on the Supreme Court. 
Uh, yes, and until 2016, we often confirmed Supreme Court justices during presidential elections and midterm elections. There was no such rule as Mitch McConnell invoked in 2016, preventing even a hearing, let alone a vote, on Merrick Garland, uh, President, no- President Obama's nominee. So, again, this, is, this whole thing is fixed. And there's more and more evidence. By the way, just, just a little tangent here. We talked about this, I believe it was on Monday, um, if not last week. It's, it's pretty clear there was a fix in on the Supreme Court seat. And the White House does not deny it. NBC is reporting, as I opined on Monday, that when President Trump first talked to Anthony Kennedy about maybe stepping down, he pointed out to Justice Kennedy, look, I already put one of your clerks on the bench, Neil Gorsuch, one of your former clerks on the bench, Neil Gorsuch. I'll make a deal with you. You step down now. You step down now so that I can get another nominee before the end of the year, and I'll make a deal with you. You step down now, and I'll put another one of your clerks on the bench, namely Brett Kavanaugh. And that's exactly what happened. I'm telling you, this was a fix. Anthony Kennedy was in on it. Donald Trump was in on it. It was it was planned from the very start. But if Mitch McConnell did a little 180 yesterday on Brett Kavanaugh, the one is the most disgusting of all. And I got to tell you, you know, um, Barney Frank, uh, former Congressman Barney Frank, says that the biggest lie in politics is when somebody says, "I hate to say, I told you so." Because everybody likes to say, I told you so. Well, I want to say today, I told you so about Susan Collins. All this talk that Susan Collins could be one of the votes, that Republican, the Republican vote who would vote against Brett Kavanaugh because of her support for Roe v. Wade and her concern that anybody that get on the court might vote to overturn Roe v. Wade. All that, all that pious stuff that she said last week, and I kept telling you, don't believe a word of what she says. She voted for Neil Gorsuch. She said the same thing beforehand, then she ended up voting for Neil Gorsuch, who will definitely vote uh, to overturn Roe v. Wade. Yesterday, it didn't take Susan Collins long, not Collins long, not even 24 hours before she came out slobbering all over Brett Kavanaugh. Uh, here she is yesterday. It's obvious that the judge has impressive credentials Mm -hmm. and extensive experience since he has served for more than a decade as a judge on the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals. And she further said, telling the New York Times, quote, when you look at the credentials that Judge Kavanaugh brings to the job, it'll be very difficult for anyone to argue that he's not qualified for the job. Yeah, she's a vote. She's a yes vote. She's a yes vote on Kavanaugh. And if she thinks that Kavanaugh will not vote to overturn Roe v. Wade again, he would not have been on the list. He would not have been appointed by Donald Trump. I mean, she's just... She's in la-la land. She's in la-la land. Uh, Yeah, I don't know whether she's kidding herself, but she's not kidding us. Absolutely not. Any of these, like, resistance Republicans, you cannot count on them to save you. They're not going to. No. um, Like, for example, one other, uh, Jeff Flake. People are saying, well, maybe Jeff Flake because he's retiring, so, boy, he could vote against Donald Trump and and no consequences for him. Uh Uh-uh. Forget about it. When you've been a circuit court judge for... 
12 years, you're going to have a long paper trail. It'll just take them a long time to get all the papers together, but uh, nothing stands out as an obstacle right now. He's a solid pick. There it is. Solid pick? Yep. Jeff there Blake. yeses. It's There's a blank another check. Vote. It's There's a yes. another vote. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so Democrats have to hang tough on this. Again, only need one Republican, but it's going to be harder than we thought uh, t- to find. I thought that um, we, we mentioned this yesterday, but I thought Senator Cory Booker picked up a very important point. Um, you know, as Chuck Schumer has, has, has said, and the Democrats seem to be focusing on a couple of issues when it comes to uh, Judge Brett Kavanaugh. Uh, concerns about his nomination. One is a Roe v. Wade, which we've talked about. Clearly, he's a vote to overturn. Uh, the other is the uh, Affordable Care Act, uh, which will be up, particularly those, uh, those, those very important provisions of the Affordable Care Act on um, pre-existing conditions, particularly uh, the subsidies to people who can't afford to buy health care otherwise. Um, by the way, I heard yesterday, California which has the number one state in terms of Medicaid expansion, coverage in California, the percentage of Californians who have health insurance under the Affordable Care Act or had bought it privately and could afford to buy it privately or through Medicaid expansion, 94% of the people of California have health insurance. You know, nationwide, it's still only about 60%, perhaps, even after the Affordable Care Act. Yeah, so shoot. When we were sh- talking about this um, last week, late last week, and we were talking about dignified health care, we had yeah. lots of tweets coming in saying, shoot, at this point, I would take undignified health care, any health care. Right. But that, that shows what one state can do working yep. with the Affordable Care Act, as imperfect as it is, 94%. So at any rate, Affordable Care Act and Roe v. Wade are two important issues that Democrats are focusing on. There's another one that Senator Cory Booker mentioned, which is one that I talked about yesterday, too. Uh, uh, Brett Kavanaugh is known for being very protective of the executive, the presidency, and he has already ruled or opined in his some of his 300 cases that he's looked at, that, and when he worked in the White House, written that the president should not have to be distracted by any criminal investigation or by any um, um, lawsuit or have to answer to a subpoena. And this president, Robert Mueller, has said, if Donald Trump doesn't volunteer to meet with me, I may issue a subpoena against the president of the United States, which means that question should could be before the Supreme Court because, you know, the White House would, would refer, go, jump to the Supreme Court to try to challenge it. That could be the before the Supreme Court, before the end of the year, another reason for not letting Brett Kavanaugh get on the court. It's just a huge conflict of interest, as Senator Cory Booker uh, mentioned here uh, yesterday. The president of the United States should not be able to pick the judge that will preside over questions involving his investigation. And as Cory Booker asked the question, you mean— out of the hundreds of thousands or tens of thousands or at least thousands of people that Donald Trump might have picked, that is it a coincidence that he picked the only one who feels that he ought to be immune from any presidential subpoena? The thousands of judges he could have picked for, even the 20-plus people he could have picked for on his list, he chose the one person that has written 
that he should have immunity from any investigation and from, uh, uh, from any kind of prosecution that might result. That may be the number one reason why Donald Trump went with Brett Kavanaugh, to protect himself from any subpoena from Robert Mueller. Yep, I smell a rat, baby. Yeah, you got it. Let's get on, uh, move on to other news of the day. Uh, yesterday was the deadline for reuniting families with their children. How did the Trump administration do? Uh, not so well, it turns out. Rebecca Entrago joins us from Think Progress to walk us through that and a whole lot more. Just getting started here on Wednesday, July 11th. Live video, Bill's commentary, the best clips from the show, tube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Hello, hello, here we are, The Bill Press Show, Wednesday, July 11. Uh, how about it? Great to see you today. Thank you for joining us. The Bill Press Show brought to you today from our studio on Capitol Hill, brought to you today by the International Association of Firefighters. Those great men and women, you see them in your neighborhood, your community, protecting us all every day on the front lines, protecting American families under the leadership of President Harold Schaatberger. We depend on them. They never let us down, and we thank them for their support of the program. Their website is IAFF, International Association of Firefighters, IAFF.org. From the great Think Progress, Rebecca Entrago joins us. Uh, here in studio. Hi, Rebecca. Hi. Nice to see you. Nice to see you as well. Uh, have we had a chance to catch up with any comments, uh, or shall we do that a little bit later, Ray? Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> Why don't we do that in a few minutes, Bill? <laughs> Ray's microphone just fell apart. Things it's, are literally oh no. falling apart it, right it, here, it, right it, now. It has been one of the. It has <laughs> been one of those mornings. Okay. All right. We'll catch up with you a little bit, a little bit later. But Rebecca, yesterday was the deadline. Uh, given by a federal judge in California for mm -hmm. the Trump administration to reunite, uh, get these families back together. Right. Well, uh, the judge said, this nonsense that uh, you can do it, there's a court order that says kids can't be held for more than 20 days. So right. 5 o'clock Tuesday, you got get the families that you've ripped apart all mm -hmm. back together. Right. How'd they do? Uh, not well. Uh, they missed the deadline. And it was specifically children. They even cut them some slack. They were like, not even just all the children. They were just children under the age of five. Um, can you please have them? <laughs> just, just stop. The idea yeah. that we took kids under yeah. the age of five away yeah. from their parents yep. is just unthinkable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But and they, they, they want, I think the number was around 100. Um, they kind of had sussed out that due to various circumstances, like some parents had already been deported by ICE in the process. Um, some parents had a criminal while their kids stayed in the United yes. States. Some parents had a criminal history and maybe weren't deemed uh, acceptable to be reunited with their children. So there are a number of things that that number 100, or I believe it was 84, dwindled down to oh, 54. Yeah. And out of the 54 kids, I believe around five maybe were reunited by the deadline. So uh, yeah, they <laughs> did not uh, do very well on that front. And from what I read, um, a lot in a lot of cases. Uh, it was not that not the joyful reunion you might expect because no. these kids had been traumatized. Mm -hmm. Some of them didn't recognize their parents right. or didn't um, they, they were so attached by this time to their mm -hmm. custodians or mm -hmm. their social worker, right? Right, right. Th that they felt that they were being ripped away from. I mean, the, the, mm -hmm. the, what ripped away from the parents first, and now ripped away from the social worker. Yeah, and and another so thing cruel. I was thinking about where there are a lot of kids 
and adults who show up to the detention centers and they don't speak Spanish. They actually speak mom, which is a uh, Mayan language and was spoken in Guatemala. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I was just thinking about, you know, the adults who maybe can't effectively communicate with people, you know, their uh people holding them in attention but even just kids who maybe they don't they haven't even had a chance to learn spanish yet maybe only speak indigenous languages you know it's there are a whole lot of factors that just make this absolutely a terrible situation to be in and it's and so when the families that were reunited what Mm -hmm. they're doing is as my understanding correct me Mm -hmm. if i'm wrong is that then they give the uh adults uh, ankle ankle bracelets whatever and then let them go and say you've got to come back for a hearing yes Right. Yeah. In, in such as whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, so basically it's back to catch and release, mm-hmm. which is what they wanted to end in the first place. Yeah. It, it, it so just, it, what did they accomplish by this whole thing? Nothing. Nothing. Right? I mean, the main I mean, the main reason it was implemented in the first place was obviously to be a deterrent to make people not want to come here. And in some cases you did see people in Guatemala who or people from Guatemala who are in these detention centers who said you know I'm not going to tell my family to come here you know that I didn't know it was like this when I came here so but they haven't really accomplished anything because again they have returned to this catch and release program and the you know the ankle bracelet thing sometimes in some cases it works sometimes it doesn't Uh, I wrote about a woman who had an ankle bracelet and she the the lawyer who was handling her case actually (laughs) committed suicide so she wasn't getting she wasn't getting notifications from her lawyer that she had, you know, to show up to these uh, court dates, and she missed a court date, and they said she, you know, she was effectively, like, running away from the government, and she was like, no, I just didn't know. Yeah. Um, the lawyer yeah. handling my case, you know, they're handling, these immigration lawyers are flooded with cases, and, you know, I guess, you know, hers got lost in the mix. It's, it's ironic that they would go after a woman like that, mm-hmm. who uh, obviously is not proficient, pardon me, in the English language. Right. Uh, and, and demand and uh, per, permissing a deadline mm-hmm. when the United States government doesn't even know where all these kids are. They couldn't right. even keep track of these kids and the right. families, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Talk about bungling, mm-hmm. right? And then they expect her to be absolutely efficient and not miss any deadline, right? Right. right. It's just the standards are completely out of whack. <laughs> right. Um, so, are we? Is is this uh, ripping the kids apart? Is this thing like? over now? Uh, yeah, it, the, the the process of separating families at the border is over through that executive order that Trump signed uh, himself, but, you know, I, I don't think he's necessarily concerned about the well-being of these children at all. Like, no. from what I wrote about yesterday, the, the one but, time we've been able to get him to comment on, um, you know, the missing the deadline and these kids who have been separated, uh, he did not mention once any concern for the kids who were separated. His he went no, into like this. Well, even before, all he said was the optics. Right. Look, mm-hmm. It doesn't look mm-hmm. good. Yeah, it doesn't look doing good. The wrong thing. And yesterday, look- though, I mean, I don't know why people feel that immigration is so complicated uh, because Donald Trump yesterday pointed out the easy solution. I mean, why didn't we think about this before? Here he is. Tell people not to come to our country illegally. That's the solution. Don't come to our country illegally. Come like other people do. Come legally. Simple as that. Simple as that. There it is. Boom. Yeah, Yeah. and and there are tons of people who are coming to the country 
you know, legally, that is through a port of entry to claim asylum, but, you know, they're getting denied asylum. They're being told that, you know, the facilities are too uh, full. They have to wait out on a bridge for days to come back. So there are people who are trying to come to the country legally. The majority of them are. Of course, in some circumstances, people... Maybe it's not, they don't know where the nearest port of entry is. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's too far for them. The journey is too treacherous, so they choose to cross a border. Um, but the majority of people are trying to get here legally. They have help from people, um, you know, and on the Mexican government side to help them get to a port of entry to get and to claim asylum because they're leaving extremely dire circumstances. And, you know, in many cases, they do have valid asylum claims, but yeah you know they're being denied or having to go through you know the whole ringer of the legal process and it's just a, a huge mess meanwhile um the congress um has been unable to get its stuff together for years yep. i mean under not under president bush not under president obama not under president trump uh no action on comprehensive immigration mm -hmm. reform even though there have been several valiant attempts and a couple of good bills put out there by yeah. bush by obama Right. Um, by a smaller group here, not by the president right. himself. Uh, and no action on the even on the Dreamers, mm -hmm. which is one program you could isolate and say, let's just take care of that. Right. Uh, Paul Ryan won't even bring it up to a vote. Um, does this, uh, I was asked this uh, in an interview I was giving the other day, whether this the, the immigration thing could become uh, an important issue in the, in the midterms in 2016. Mm-hmm. Uh, 2018. Where are we? Yeah, 2018. Uh, what do you think? I think that's. I think that's true. I think in certainly in some districts, I would think. Yeah, I, I definitely think so. And I think in in blue states, in particular, I think you're seeing like, or in blue districts, even you know, you're seeing this sort of grassroots movement to you know protect children who are separated at the border, to protect dreamers. So I think that you know there there's been a huge grassroots movement around that, and I think that that's going to be you know a point of contention. Uh, you know, when as as a midterms approach, and I think that specifically you have people, um, you know, maybe left of the Democratic Party who are calling for abolishing ICE, and so you know some people are making that as you know a sort of a litmus test as to whether they can get behind the candidates, whether they want to, um, you know, abolish this agency, uh, you know, following the Alexandria Ocasio Cortez route. Um, yeah. You have some people I know, um, Andrew Gillum, who's running for governor in uh, Florida, has called to abolish ICE but replace it. In his terms, in his words, it's replace it with something more humane. I don't know what that looks like or what that would be. Um, so I think, you know, you're seeing a lot of these, um, you know, really front-runner progressive candidates really throwing themselves behind this this movement and making it a focal point of their campaign that they want to protect immigrant families who come here and, and, and all that. Well, I know it, it's I find it kind of amusing that the Republicans are trying to make such a big deal about how dare and, and the president himself, mm -hmm. you know, how dare any Democrat suggest that we ought to get rid of ICE as if ICE has been around since the uh, beginning of the Republic. Right. Hardly. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. What's right. It, 2003. 2003. Yeah. Yep. It's, uh, and, and again, we got along just fine. <laughs> yeah, we got along fine without it. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, so it's sort of the enforcement arm of the Border Patrol. Right. Right. Okay, well, you need that. Mm -hmm. And I think what I hear Democrats saying is, yeah, you need that, but they should not be acting like stormtroopers, right? right? They should be treating people dis decently. Mm -hmm. They should not be uh, ripping kids from their from their, from their their parents right. and locking them all up. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's a way to do that. Right. Uh, and that's what we ought to do. So it's, it's almost like repeal and replace. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I haven't heard anybody say, 
Get rid of ICE and, and uh, well, except Donald Trump. Right. Get rid of ICE, and the only option is open borders. Anybody right. comes. Right. MS-13, every gang member right. is allowed in. Mm-hmm. And I, I and with ICE, so you, you see these random cases where it's just like, how is this possible? Like, there was a case in Miami where this woman who had been in the country, I think, for about 30 years, she's living in Miami, and she was working as a secretary for this uh, banker who I guess had been participating in some illegal activities, pocketing money. And this was a long time ago. And she just was detained by ICE for this work that she did for being a secretary for this banker. And now she's, you know, being threatened to return to, I believe it was Nicaragua. But, you know, it's these cases are just bizarre, and I don't know how, <laughs> you know, where, where, they di- where they dig up these cases from decades ago and are like, yeah, we should prosecute this old woman who's lived in the country since, you know, for, for 30 years. They seem to go out of their way to find cases like this. Right, right. And they're naturalized and citizens in some cases. Yeah, right. yeah. And, and it's it's bizarre. I don't know what the, what purpose it serves. Uh, you know, they're a citizen. They pay taxes. It's, it it doesn't, doesn't make any sense to me. So the latest flap uh, with ICE has been uh, regarding a reporter down mm-hmm. in Atlanta, I believe. It's Memphis. Memphis. Memphis, Memphis yeah. right. Mm-hmm. Um, Senor Duran. Yes, yeah. Manuel Duran. What, what's the story there? Yeah, so. he, in April, he was covering a rally in Memphis. And and is he an American? He is not an American. Okay. Yeah, he, so he is a he is, undocumented. Yes, he's from El Salvador, and yeah. he actually had to flee El Salvador because of his work as a reporter down there. He had gotten in trouble, um, you know, just by covering the police and and and, and the but government he's been there. A, he's been in this country. He's been a in the country, time, uh, right? I believe, relatively recently. I think 2007, um, working uh-huh. as a reporter okay. for. Um, you know, a news agency that's pretty vital in Memphis. He's it's a Spanish language uh, uh, news outlet. He started himself uh, in Memphis, and he's been covering. You know, been doing important work about police shootings in Memphis. So he's been pretty hard on the Memphis police department. Yeah. And I think for that reason, you know, he was out at this rally. Um, I believe it was a, a rally uh, to protect immigrants or or maybe against the police department. Um, and he was arrested. Uh, along with some other journalists, but after you know he his court was or his uh, case was settled with a uh, Memphis Police Department, he was put into ICE, ICE detention, and in Louisiana he was sent to Louisiana to an ICE detention center over there. By the way, probably another case of a police department cooperating with us. Oh, exactly, and that's it. And, which and, is not always the case. But and yes, and the mayor of Memphis specifically said that he was not going to you know the police department of Memphis was not going to be cooperating with ICE, and um, you know. Manuel had reported about that previously and how in other cases where he was aware of Memphis PD turning over people to ICE. And so that actually happened to himself. Um, there was a I believe he had some sort of case with ICE where he maybe had missed a court appearance. Again, he said he had not received that uh, notice from his lawyer. So, again, it's it's very difficult to rely on, you know, this court system where, like, you know, you get this notice from this from an attorney or from the court and you have to show up and check in sometimes people that doesn't get handed down and maybe you know they don't follow up maybe it's just one notice um so that happened with him and they said you know there's you know not a warrant but there's a uh, you missed a, a deadline to come make an appearance at the court so they detained uh, detained him um as far as i know he's still there um and he believes that you know he was targeted um for his work as a journalist for you know exposing memphis pd's cooperation with ice um, for exposing Memphis PD's, you know, their tactics with like shooting people. Um, you know, he's been very hard on the agency uh, in the past, and he believes that made him a target.
I, I, you know, I don't know the man, mm-hmm. but I believe every word he says. Yeah, no, right? I, 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 he has no reason to, to lie. I mean, and and uh, as his lawyer— uh, You could see this is one guy where the cops said, we know what to do with him. We'll just turn him over to ICE. Right, right. right. And, and, and ICE is more than happy mm-hmm. to pick him up and— yeah, and and as his lawyer pointed out, you know, like he's this one man newsroom, and a lot of Spanish speaking people in Memphis get their news from his site, and you know he's an invaluable resource to that community, and you know it's important for immigrants in Memphis, immigrant communities in Memphis, to know what's happening, you know, with the police department, with government agencies, and maybe you know for right now they're only able to comprehend the news in Spanish, so you know that's like their main source of news. So you know it's 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 wrong for a number of reasons, but particularly because the city has been cooperating with ICE when the mayor said that that was not going to happen. You know, I would think in if um, if the leadership of the Congress were in other hands and not totally Republican-controlled, there'd be some hearings, some oversight mm-hmm. hearings on ICE. Right. Like, okay, what are you doing, mm-hmm. right? And why are you doing this? Right. And defend this. And, and don't you think maybe there should be a change of policies? But there hasn't been a peep on the part of Rep- House Republicans about ICE. Like, right. Other I- than some who just run out and say, you know, uh, attacking the Democrats right. for suggesting there's anything wrong with ICE. Right. Yeah. I, I'm not sure why we need DHS and like Customs and Border Patrol and all these like small federal agencies when I think like one one agency could probably do the job well and not used to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Before 2003, <laughs> we, we got along just fine yeah. with that. Yeah. Um, so, I, I yeah, there in, in a perfect world, there would be some some oversight hearings and, you know, these kind of cases would be brought up and, you know, they would have to defend why they're going back, you know, decades and finding these people who have been living in the country peacefully and decided to, you know, prosecute them at all. Uh, one other thing that you've been following uh, at uh, Think Progress, it's, of course, uh, thinkprogress.org. Uh, Rebecca Intrago, just one of the great reporters over there, uh, a lot of good friends of ours we mm-hmm. have on the program from Think Progress. But you've been following, you've been tracking, you know, we have a tendency these days that we get all excited about a big story and then uh, the next day we're on to something else right. and then we forget about it, right? right? Uh, which I think is happening a little bit to these kids at the border. Mm-hmm. I mean, right now we're talking more about NATO right. and blah, 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 right. People are not talking about that. Mm-hmm. And about Brett Kavanaugh. But mm-hmm. that situation is still going on there. Yes, very much so. Um, but but the one I'm thinking about is one story that really got lost is Puerto Rico. Mm-hmm. And Absolutely. And you keep tracking that. Mm-hmm. We, I, right. think, I think progress so, that's kind of been, you know, our we, we really want to hammer home that this is still an ongoing crisis. Uh, how so? Well, I mean, so they had a, a blackout again yesterday. You know, the, the power grid is still, you know, in crisis over there. Um, in Flo- yeah, I mean, one time the entire island was wiped out. Mm-hmm. So, but, but, so they're not still not back uh, full bore, right? No. Um, I think only recently about 99% of uh, customers who get their water from Puerto Rico's utility, government utility, have had, you know, potable, drinkable water. And that was... I How long has it been? It's ten months, almost eleven months, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, you know, just a couple weeks ago, it was ninety nine percent that of uh, the customers had had you know drinkable water. Um, so you know, it's still an ongoing crisis, and I feel like you know it sort of gets lost that you know Puerto Ricans are Americans. They oh, yeah. they're, they're citizens. Well, we had that case yesterday where this man uh, came up to a woman who she rented out a pavilion in a city. Uh, park and she was wearing a Puerto Rican shirt and he came up to her and was like, why are you wearing that in America? Like, you shouldn't be wearing that here. You should be wearing an American flag. Like, are you a citizen? And was questioning her and just like, 
She's like, what? Are, like, and he was harassing her, and there was a cop nearby, and the cop was doing absolutely nothing about it, um, just sort of letting this man rail against this woman who was like, I have a permit to be here. I rented out this pavilion. I am a citizen. Puerto Rico is part of the United States. Um, and he was just harassing her, and the cop was doing absolutely nothing. And it was just a reminder to me that so many people don't think that Puerto Ricans are Americans, and it's uh, mind-boggling to me. <laughs> uh, well, and a lot of Puerto Ricans came to this country, mm -hmm. right, after yes. Hurricane Maria. Yeah. Uh, and have chosen not to go back? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and there are a number in— Do they have that option, by the way? I mean, they do have the option to go back. It's just whether—I mean, the economics— uh, No, is, did they, did they oh. have the option, I'm sorry, to come to this country— and to take up residency here, mm -hmm. permanent re permanent yeah, residency. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. They can as Americans. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're they're. Um, it's, it just it would just hmm. be like moving states, pretty much. I, I to, yeah, in, yeah. In, in, uh, in, I never in, thought of that. But yeah, I, yeah. And they're not in the majority of them have been in Florida, but there are some. There's a, a big community in Boston as well. Um, and New York. And New York, of course. And I I've have seen that big Puerto Rican parade in New York. Of course. Of yeah. <laughs> and you know, a lot of them probably have family members. Um, yeah. You know, living and uh, whoever they were able to take up uh, residency with. But in Florida specifically, you know, um, they're living in motels, soup rates. The Florida government, you know, allowed a number of motels, especially in Orlando, which is a very heavily uh, Puerto Rican community anyway, to stay in these motels um, through a FEMA grant and, um, and, 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 and have their housing paid for. Um, they ended that or they extend, they keep extending that program, but you know, that's only been about 10 or 11 months. The people who were affected by Rita and Katrina had that program for about 44 months. So, you know, it's, it's, yeah, again, it's another example of just like saying, you know, you can't be living off of, you know, living, you know, quote unquote, living off the government for that long. But we had people in Katrina, you know, who who, you know, were staying as part of these FEMA grants for a while. Um, and a lot of them are choosing to stay in the U.S. for economic reasons. Um, maybe they just enjoyed their time there and they don't want to go back to unstable life. You know, if there's another hurricane, who knows? You know, we're approaching hurricane season. Who knows if the island is prepared for another hurricane? So I think, you know, they're finding it, you know, if they, they're finding it a better option if they just choose to stay here. The flip side of that is it's not easy. It's not an easy choice for them. You know, they left their lives behind, mm -hmm. a lot of their family, friends maybe, a lot of belongings. You know, they picked up everything and came to the U.S. So, and in Florida, it's interesting because some people are seeing, there are about, I think, about 30,000 Puerto Ricans. Um, I don't know how many of that are staying, but a lot of people are seeing that as a potential voting block, getting them out and registered to vote uh, in Florida um, for, you know, very contentious uh, midterm that's coming up. And the an interesting poll of hmm. these Puerto Ricans found that they uh, preferred Rick Scott over Bill Nelson, um, and by about ten percentage points, uh, they really like uh, Rick Scott for uh, whatever reason, and he's up in the polls there. So um, a lot of people aren't saying aren't seeing. Uh, the Puerto Rican population has swaying the the vote in Florida in the in the election. Well, the Democrats would better get busy informing these uh, Puerto Ricans that right. Bill Nelson, uh, right. uh, I mean that, that Rick Scott mm -hmm. is hardly their friend. Right. And and the people of Florida have had enough time to see that. Mm -hmm. Right. I think it's that just. They, I think bad it's, enough as governor. We don't want him in the United States Senate. Right. But, yeah. I think it's just name uh -huh. recognition. You know, Bill Nelson yeah. hasn't been on the ballot in six years. He's very very comfortable in his seat there rick scott i think 
maybe the Puerto Rican population has had more contact with him because he was governor and he he made a number of trips to Puerto Rico. He was actually very nice to the Puerto Rican population. He was very generous in letting them, you know, um, uh, stay in these motels in Florida. I mean, this is very bare minimum. Like any yeah. any governor I, I, should do that. Let's not give him like extra pats yeah. on the back for that. But uh, for some reason, you know, they they really like him um, huh. and. Bill Nelson hasn't really made these connections with the Latino uh, community in Florida um, like Rick Scott has. So I have to ask you, uh, we now have a new president of Mexico. We do. Uh, a leftist. I forget his name already. but uh, AMLO goes by the—he the, goes by uh, AMLO. AMLO, that's right. AMLO, right. <laughs> yeah. So uh, that's all you have to remember, mm-hmm. right? Um, Many names. What impact is that going to have on U.S.-Mexican relations? I mean, I— 30 seconds here. Yeah, I, I, I can't make any uh, predictions for sure, but it'll be, I, I see we're going to, I think we're going to see some more pushback against the Trump administration and, and, and hopefully he's he's really going to have to defend himself against, you know, the Mexican president. Uh, and he's definitely not going to pay for the wall. Oh, absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> that's not even a question. <laughs> yeah, Donald Trump said that's such a great conversation too. Hey, Rebecca, so good to see you. See you get caught up here. Well. Thanks so much Thank again. You. Thinkprogress.org. When we come back, Kate Martell uh, joins us from the Hill, and we'll talk more about Congress gearing up for the big battle of the Supreme Court. The Bill Press Show on a Wednesday, July 11. This is the Bill Press Show. Hey, friends, don't be a stranger. Keep up to date with all of the Bill Press Show happenings around the clock on social media. Here's how. You can follow us on Twitter at BP Show or on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Bill Press Show and on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And remember, if you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And while you're there, please rate and review the show. That means a lot to us. And thanks so much for your support. fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And the big brawl in Brussels, otherwise known as the NATO summit, is underway. Donald Trump already uh, insulting most of our allies there, and the meeting hasn't even started yet. What do you say, everybody? Great to see you today. It is a Wednesday, July 11. This is The Bill Press Show. Welcome, welcome, and thank you for joining us wherever you happen to be in this great land of ours. We are there with you online, on the uh, on YouTube, on the radio, and on television uh, with all the news of the day, not just what's happening uh, in Brussels, but the latest uh, down at the border and the latest here in Capit- on Capitol Hill with Brett Kavanaugh, the president's nominee for the Supreme Court, making his first uh, visits to senators on the Hill yesterday, and he'll be doing a lot of that obviously between now and probably in September is when we expect the confirmation hearings to get underway. Helping us through the news of the day, Kate Martell is the editor of the, or the author of whatever, publisher of the 1230 report at The Hill, thehill.com. Uh, hello, Kate. Good morning, Bill. Nice to see you. Thanks Thank for you having me. Coming in, very bright and cheery with that <laughs> bright yellow today. I like the sun coming up. Yes, it's Here. July. Uh, we need sun. <laughs> uh, yeah. Through all of this gloomy news. <laughs> right. 
A little bright spot, huh? <laughs> yes, uh, you are, Kate. So anyhow, we uh, love having you with us and want you to feel part of the program and to let us know that you're there by sending us your comments on the news of the day on Twitter, uh, at BP Show. In fact, Kate, we've been at it for uh, about an hour now. Peter Ogburn has the uh, week off. Uh, Ray Rogers you don't need Peter. Who needs Peter Ogburn? I don't know, Peter. Ray, if you're listening, Ray's in charge. She's got it. She's got it <laughs> together, man. She's taken over here. Uh, and how have the comments been so far this morning? We have lots of people weighing in this morning, Bill. Um, so yesterday we put up the poll: Will Democrats vote on block to oppose the Kavanaugh Scotus nomination? Mm-hmm. And Bill, I don't know if you're going to be happy with well, these results. Well, it was fifty-fifty the last I heard. Uh, yes. So we urged people, we implored them to go to our Twitter account and vote. And final results are in: forty-eight percent of you say yes, and fifty-two percent of you say no. So, I understand why, uh, having uh, seen the vote on Neil Gorsuch, on Gorsuch, why some people people are not counting on the Democrats to hang together. I hope they're wrong, but I'm. Mm, I understand sure. their uh, hesitation. Here, so one of many uh, gave her gave their thoughts, saying the Dems wouldn't vote on block to agree that the sky is blue. They would say, "Well, the sky is blue, but we must acknowledge that it can be gray during storms and during the breathtaking sunsets in my home state." I think that they might be onto something. And we have another person, Tom Schaefer. Did you see the story, Bill, about activists in the UK? Um, who want to make a certain song go to the top of the charts? Uh, I, uh, yes, and what's really <laughs> yes. Okay, and so I love a, I love that because we used to start our show. Yes, exactly. Okay, with so American Idiot. Tom Schaefer, a longtime listener, says, "Bill, having a happy flashback to when American Idiot by Green Day was your theme music." Yes, yes. Which of course, <laughs> activists uh, want to. Yes, Tom, we all remember that. <laughs> I love it. Right. Yeah. So, so who knows? Maybe. Um, there are some maybe Trump well, listens and it, it will the song is so too. old. I wasn't sure how did they get it back up at the top of the charts just I, by people. I think it's just a getting um, radio stations to play it. Yeah, getting ra- exactly. yeah, I see. Right. Mm-hmm. I think that they there. could succeed. We should try that here and pair it with the baby blimp. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're gonna have the baby blimp and America. Well, baby blimp floating over London. An American idiot blasting out of all the loudspeakers. Welcome. Welcome to welcome. London. <laughs> A grand presidential no, welcome. No wonder they're keeping him sort of on the outskirts of London uh, and no meetings inside of London. No right? wonder Meghan Markle wanted to go there. I want to go there. <laughs> uh, so get ready here to join in uh, as we run through the uh, news of the day and um, common period uh, still open. Um, on uh, YouTube, I'm sorry, on Twitter. Sandra comes on Twitter at BP Show. Quick break, we'll be right back with Kate Martell getting into the news of the day. Download our podcast, search for The Bill Press Show on iTunes, and remember to rate, review, and subscribe. This is The Bill Press Show. The NATO summit underway, and Donald Trump has already made his mark insulting Theresa May, the Prime Minister of the UK, insulting Angela Merkel, the Chancellor of Germany, and insulting all the members of the EU. What a great way to start the day in Brussels. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Pretty embarrassing for all the rest of us. 
Great to see you today. It is the Bill Press Show. Wednesday, Wednesday, July 11. Thank you for joining us wherever you are in this great land of ours. We're there right alongside of you. We may start out here on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., but we join you coast-to-coast online on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Uh, we're joining you coast-to-coast also on Free Speech TV, looking good out there in TV land, and in Chicago, all the greater Chicago area, we're with you on WCPT in your car, in your office, in your home. Uh, thank you for joining us. Kate Martell is the author of the uh, 1230 report on The Hill, thehill.com. You really ought to check it out. I tell you all the time, I read it every single day. Uh, it's a very uh, upbeat, uh, off-the-wall, kind of uh, irreverent, and yet very substantive look at the news of the day. Kate, you do a great job, and thanks for coming in. Thanks so much for having me, Bill. So uh, got it started uh, right off yesterday, the Supreme Court battle, right? It did. And How's it look? Um, it's going to be a pretty lively battle, isn't it? It will. Brett Kavanaugh had his first day on Capitol Hill. He spoke to the Republican Senate lunch, um, and he met with Senate leadership on the Republican side. And already, I think we're going to see, so um, the Senate Judiciary Chairman Chuck Grassley said that he expects the vote in 65 to 70 days. They mm-hmm. have a tight timeline that they're hoping. I think the chances that of that timeline actually holding through are pretty slim. Um, I think we're expecting that to get pushed off a little bit. Um, but but they, so far, want him, they want it by October so he can take his seat for the next uh, session of the court. They do. And the earlier they can pull this off, I think the Republicans view this as the better it is as far as the midterms. Is The closer it gets, the more volatile this will get. Um, and they'll see the blowback depending on how this nomination goes. Um, so, so far we're seeing, you know, the usual, what you'd expect Republicans generally seem to like Brett Kavanaugh. Democrats do not seem to like him. But the interesting are the red state Democrats mm-hmm. um, that are up for re-election. That's Heidi Heitkamp of North Dakota, Joan Donnelly of Indiana, and Joe Manchin of West Virginia, who have been pretty cl- closely guarding their opinions. They said that they'll wait and see what Brett Kavanaugh has to say. They're going to look at his record uh, before they actually make a a decision because these are states that Trump did have a strong showing and they know that they can't necessarily just come out of the gate and be against um, Judge Kavanaugh knowing that that could hurt their chances of re-election and they want to take, they're hoping to take back as many seats as they can. So, One thing I thought was interesting yesterday that when there were four names out there, uh, Mitch McConnell said, of course, we want to we want to uh, uh, confirm somebody before the end of the year. Uh, but he called the president and he publicly said that of the four, the one that looked the that they would have the least chance at the one that would be toughest to confirm was Brett Kavanaugh. And so he, he urged the president to appoint somebody, anybody other than Brett Kavanaugh, because making my job easier. Uh, and yet yesterday. Uh, when Kavanaugh has now nominated and comes up to the Senate, you would think that he'd been Mitch McConnell's <laughs> best friend forever. Here's uh, the Republican leader. The president really could not have done a better job of picking an extraordinarily well-qualified nominee. I think the comments all over the country have been rolling in. I couldn't have done a better job myself. <laughs> <laughs> Beaming ear to ear. Yeah. Um, I mean, no doubt about where he's going to be, right? Exactly. And I think you do have to point out, too, though, that the reason that Senate, that Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell 
was saying that about Brett Kavanaugh is because Brett Kavanaugh worked in the Bush administration and 12 years um, in appeals court in D.C. in the D.C. Circuit. So the New York Times, I believe, referred to millions of pages attached to Brett Kavanaugh's record. So paper trail, paper trail that Democrats can are trying to hold off the vote by looking through it. And the chances of surprises and new revelations that we don't know about Brett Kavanaugh are the highest of any of those four nominees. Yeah, ab- <laughs> yeah absolutely. Now, as you point out, it does. Uh, the only chance that Democrats have, if you look at the math, to block this nomination are if all 49 Democrats hang together. And then they have to pick up, still pick up one Republican. Uh, and among the—so re- let's— that, that's a big given, but let's say that it works. Then who would that Republican be? Well, people say, well, Susan Collins, because Susan yeah. Collins has said all these things about she could never vote for somebody, forgetting that she voted for Neil Gorsuch. Neil Gorsuch, yes. right? She would never vote for anybody who would have any remote chance of uh, overturning Roe v. Wade. Well, that was two days ago. Yesterday, she was right out of the box praising Brett Kavanaugh. Here is. The Republican that Democrats were counting on. It's obvious that the judge has impressive credentials and extensive experience since he has served for more than a decade as a judge on the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals. She told the New York Times, quote, a further along the same lines, quote, when you look at the credentials that Judge Kavanaugh brings to the job, It'll be very difficult for anyone to argue that he's not qualified for the job. That sounds like a yes vote to me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt. Yeah, I think that the best chance that Democrats have, I would say, is Rand Paul, because Rand Paul, Hmm. he's worried about surveillance, um, and he has his hesitations about Judge Kavanaugh. Um, Obviously, he could swing either way, but he does tend to be the thorn in the side of Republicans that he doesn't always necessarily vote in line with the party. He voted against Gina Haspel, but he voted for Mike Pompeo for um, secretary of state. So he can always kind of I I think that he is the one that that Democrats should target. Lisa Murkowski and Susan Collins. Yes, they have their um, their Roe v. Wade positions that they're more pro abortion than than other Republicans that if there was a chance they might the Democrats will have them on the list. But I think as you said, those quotes, it sounds like Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski to a same degree could be swayed. Well if they were willing to you have to say, if they were willing to roll the dice, and I'm not sure about Murkowski, I think she voted for Gorsuch as well. But Susan Collins, let's stick with her. If she was willing to roll the dice with Neil Gorsuch, she'll roll the dice for Brett Kavanaugh. There's just no doubt about it. Um Jeff Flake was another one that people were talking about, maybe, because after all, he's retiring, right? Exactly. So he's got nothing to lose by voting. Nothing to lose by voting no, if he really thought. Any any chances of Jeff Flake? Uh, forget about it. Here he is yesterday. When you've been a circuit court judge for 12 years, you're going to have a long paper trail. It'll just take him a long time to get all the papers Good together, point. but uh, nothing stands out as an obstacle right now. He's a solid pick. There it is. Solid pick. Another yes vote. Yeah. And yeah. I think that what we're seeing is. I think you're yeah. right about Rand Paul, by the way. Yeah. He would be. He's he's just, um, you know, a radical enough and a renegade enough that he would vote. Doesn't matter for the party and take the heat. He could. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's the best shot for 
Democrats if they want to. Jeff Flake, yes, I, I think the dynamic here is of the four picks, Judge Kavanaugh was not the most conservative. I think Amy Coney Barrett was, I think, the mm -hmm. furthest to the right. Um, but I think what some of these Republicans are worried about, I don't know if they'll actually vote in line with this, is more of the ideological effects for decades on the court. It's not necessarily Judge Kavanaugh. He does have the long paper trail. And yes, he is a conservative darling that will definitely goes in line with the other conservative judges on the court. But it's more less about Kavanaugh, more about what it means for the court for the following decades. Right. Um, interesting that we so we've talked so much about Roe v. Wade, and that is one of the big issues of concern to Democrats with Kavanaugh. Another is the Affordable Care Act. Um, this, uh, that's a third issue that uh, Cory Booker talked about yesterday and, um, uh, and Adam Liptak in the New York Times had talked about as well, which is that from his time in the Bush White House, Kavanaugh has been very, very uh, supportive and protective of the presidency. He's actually written that the president has a unique position. He's so important, so busy, that he should not be distracted by any lawsuit or any investigation or certainly not any subpoena. Uh, and Robert Mueller has already said, if Donald Trump does not agree to test to meet with him, that he they could issue a subpoena. So this question about whether or not a president well, can pardon himself or would have to respond to a subpoena could be one of, one of the first issues in front of the next session of the court uh, and Cory Booker says, and he's put there on the, he wants to put on the court the one guy who would say, no, Donald Trump's off the hook here. So here's, here's Senator Booker yesterday. The thousands of judges he could have picked for, or even the 20 plus people he could have picked for on his list, he chose the one person <laughs> that has written that he should have immunity from any investigation and from, uh, uh, from any kind of prosecution that might result. It raises an interesting conflict. It does. And I think we're. It's not just Cory Booker saying this. That was that was the line from Democrats yesterday. Uh -huh. um, yeah. That the Mueller investigation, and I think also it's it's interesting to note that we might end up with confirmation hearings at the same time as we're dealing with a potential presidential subpoena um, going through the courts. This could be it's historic. Yeah. Um, not to mention the Paul Manafort <laughs> trial going on at the same time. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And Brett no. Kavanaugh worked for Ken Starr. He was working in the independent yes. counsel during the Clinton administration um, to investigate uh, President Clinton's miscomings. And so I think what you have to remember, too, that 2009 op-ed that he wrote that it's not great to um, that you can't indict a sitting president because of all the responsibility and powers they wrote was to defend his actions during what he said when he was working for Ken Starr during that investigation. Right, yeah. And so he's sort of a, a little bit on both sides of this issue, I guess, right? Yes. That, that was the, but he said that about Bill, Clinton, about Bill Clinton. Would he say the same thing about Donald Trump? Right, who knows? Who knows? But it's, it's, it's going to be a, a, a very, very lively, hotly contested nomination. What, no matter who he appointed, it would be, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And, yeah. and it's already started, so it'll be the rest of this month having these meetings. They're not going to be here around that much in August, no matter what Mitch McConnell <laughs> says. And then they'll come back in September, October, full bore. We can, uh, we can uh, expect that. Um, meanwhile, um, uh, the focus has shifted to um, Brussels and, and NATO. So we've got the president. 
um, Brussels with NATO, London with the Queen and the Prime Minister, and then a little round of golf, a couple of rounds of golf (laughs) at his place in Scotland, uh, and then on to uh, uh, Helsinki and uh, Vladimir Putin, the one-on-one summit. This this week could be just a total disaster, couldn't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And Trump himself thinks that the Putin meeting is the easiest of the meetings that he has coming up. Um, And we've already seen a tense start to this NATO meeting. And we're just on day one. Um, We're going till next Monday when he rounds it out with his Putin meeting. Um, But so far, we haven't seen the camaraderie. We haven't seen it. We've just seen tension among NATO President Trump has criticized. It's, it started out tense because of the Iran nuclear deal and the tariffs that Trump has put in place. And now that he's bringing NATO into this and is threatening to slash spending, uh, U.S. spending to NATO because of other countries he thinks aren't exactly pulling their weight, hey, these are our allies. And at, at some point, how do you preserve these relationships? Um, so I think that there is going to have to be some type of come-to-Jesus meeting of we can't start ticking off. Canada, Mexico, the EU, all of our biggest allies in the world that at the end of the day, we're going to have to, when things happen, we need these guys. And yet there's also the expectation that Donald Trump, who already pulled out of the Paris Accords, who already uh, trashed the Iran nuclear deal, who's already trashed the TPP and NAFTA, um, might be willing to pull the United States out of NATO as well. I mean, it's not unthinkable. It's not unthinkable, yes, uh, based on what we've seen him do with trade and all of these other issues that you just named, definitely. Yeah. I mean, we were talking with Igor Babish from HuffPost yesterday who said, even that, that would be too crazy even for Donald Trump. And I said, <laughs> you know what? I'm, Yeah. I don't think so. I mean, I think yeah. he would take pride in it, saying it's a, whole, it's a new, you know, they've been taking advantage of us for too long. It's the language he uses now. They've been taking advantage of us for too long. We're getting nothing out of this relationship, which has lasted since the Cold War and I think has been extremely beneficial to the United States. These are our strongest allies in the world. Uh, but I could see Donald Trump making the argument, no, it's, it's lasted too long. It's over. You know, it's time has come and gone. We're moving on without NATO. And then, But what, then what's scary about that is, so we replace it with what? We replace it with this alleged friendship with President Xi of China, Kim Jong-un of North Korea, and Vladimir Putin of Russia. This is a new foreign policy for the United States. It is. and I mean, like, radical. Whether yeah. or not he would actually pull out, yes, obviously this is very hypothetical, but yeah. he has already set up the groundwork for a threat to And he uses that. That is a strategy that we've seen the president deploy time after time. He threatens something that he may not necessarily mean something that he doesn't necessarily want the outcome to be as far off as what he what is he saying. But once you start saying things, they turn into policy. Once other world leaders are hearing, other diplomats are hearing, are hearing these, they're reading his tweets, too. And when he's threatening to slash spending, that's just not causing positive feelings among NATO allies, all 29 nations that are important for the United States that. Who knows how this will play out, you know? Right. Now, um, we've had a very important guest uh, in Washington. Uh, and Donald Trump's an important guest in, in Europe, uh, and there's a lot of focus on that. But a very important guest in Washington uh, the last couple of days 
Uh, I didn't have a chance to uh, to see her. I was so busy. But did you happen? Did you get out to see Stormy Daniels while she was in town? <laughs> I kept seeing a lot of tweets. I did not actually go and see her. But yes, she has really made a rumble in Washington. <laughs> well, I was surprised she didn't make more of a rumble. I mean, I didn't see any. Did Did you uh, on uh, uh, on your report, twelve thirty report? Talk about it? Um, yeah, so she's been... Oh, all right. Good for you. She I hasn't... seen anything in the Washington Post about it. Yep, so she's been having um, a few meetings around Washington. She was at a comedy club. Um, she hasn't been really seen at many bars, so I think what we're... What she did a, a lot of what Washington... It, do you remember? I think it was Cloak Room. Cloak Room, cloak yeah. Room. Yep. Two, two nights in a row she appeared at the Cloak Room. Re-advertising uh, for this business here. There it is. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Well, she's gone now, I guess. It was a smart room for cloak, a smart move for cloakroom. <laughs> Gets uh, a lot of free press. Who? What meetings did she have in town? Um, so, details. Uh, we're not sure of the details, but okay. it sounds like she's just been in D.C. She was at cloakroom and was trying to do like make the rounds a little bit. I don't think, but Mike, not publicly. I don't think her attorney, Michael Avenatti, was with her. He was not. No. <laughs> He we would know it. <laughs> absolutely. If he were in town, we would know it, right? Right, yeah. I wonder if she, uh, 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 do you think, <laughs> like Brett Kavanaugh, she met with any members of, uh, <laughs> of the oh. Senate? I doubt it. We would know she that. She followed him around. First they met with Brett Kavanaugh, and then the, our next meeting is with <laughs> with Stormy Downs. I, I, it was pretty uh, <laughs> pretty ballsy of her, if I can use that phrase, uh, for her to come to Washington, D.C., but, uh, but that's part of her... Make America Horny tour. <laughs> that she's still. I'm sure Michael Avenatti supported this move for her to come to Washington. <laughs> that seems like such a Michael Avenatti thing to be supportive of. <laughs> well, as one of our guests said yesterday, girls got to make a living, right? So mm. she's she's out there doing what she yeah doing doing what she does. Uh, so meanwhile, what else is going on in Washington? I mean, it basically, except for the Supreme Court nomination. It's kind of shut down already for the midterms, hasn't it? It has. Um, I mean, do you see anything of consequence happening in the Congress? For I mean, we're only we're halfway through the year. Yeah. Right? But not much has happened so far, and I think even less is going to happen in the last six months of the year. And as far as it, there is no real GOP agenda right now that is all Supreme Court all the time, but we're not seeing any infrastructure happening. We haven't really seen much since the big tax breaks that, um, right. that Republicans passed last that year. Was, that was that was December, yeah. And I think that Republicans right now are just trying to tout the economy and the tax and taxes and Supreme Court and have kind of shut down, just like you have said, that there isn't really much going on in Congress. We're still seeing the immigration is an issue, but we haven't really seen any legislation. We're not going to see any moving any time soon. Um, as far as what Congress is working on this week, they're doing it working on nominations, a little bit of deregulation, but there's not really any big landmark legislation that I think that we're going to see pushed through over the next few weeks. They're already looking towards August, the midterms, and even Trump has said that let's hold off on a few of a uh, few pieces of legislation until he thinks that they can have a bigger majority after November. And one thing we are seeing are uh, on both sides some rumblings about what the new leadership in the House will look like if Democrats win or if re if Republicans win, right? And on the Democratic side, um, that equation 
um, sort of thrown up in the air, uh, topsy-turvy, by the defeat of Joe Crowley, who was number four in the, uh, in the House leadership and was angling to be the next speaker after Nancy Pelosi. He said maybe not running against her, but certainly if she were to step down. And then Crowley's out of the picture, so shake things up a little bit there. And Nancy Pelosi obviously is always, uh, if Democrats win a natural, um, she'll be in the running. But I think it's she has just, said she's not stepping down. Right? Yes. Right. Uh, I, I heard saw yesterday that uh, Congressman Tim Ryan, uh, who did challenge her the last time, got 53 votes, uh, more than anyone, which is far from what you need, but more than anyone else had ever gotten in a challenge to Speaker Pelosi, uh, had said he said it on our program, sitting right where you are, that he was not going to challenge the Speaker again. He did that. He was moving on. He's actually thinking about running for president in 2020. Uh, but yesterday, uh, he said the loss of uh, uh, Joe Crowley's defeat makes him take another look at perhaps running for speaker after all. So so that whole thing is churning. And then on the Republican side, Paul Ryan stepping down. And it looks like Kevin McCarthy had um, his – he wants it. looks like he's the leading candidate there but facing a possible challenge from a Freedom Caucus member who was going to be Congressman Jim Jordan. Maybe not now. I think that, yes, maybe not now. you've been reporting about Jim Jordan. Yes, um, who allegedly um, didn't report sexual misconduct that happened when he was a wrestling coach decades ago. This happened between the 70s and the 90s. And the reporting came out. We saw Jim Jordan come back to Washington for the first time since this report came out during Fourth of July week, during recess. Um, and he is absolutely fighting it, saying that these allegations are not true. But the storyline is not great. And he does have PR firm helping him tamp down the flames. But there, this is a story that will follow him, and it is a storyline that will not help. Um, the House Freedom Caucus is already fairly controversial in the House yeah. that to elect a Freedom Caucus co-founder as speaker is already a long shot but now an embattled house freedom caucus co-founder is a little bit of a stretch and the house ethics committee has opened an investigation to this i believe into they have the accusations against jim jordan again yep. i think it's important to point out he is not personally he has not himself been accused of molesting or abusing or doing anything wrong in terms of sexual harassment of these kids who were members of his team, but the accusation is that everybody knew what was going on, including him, that they had personally told him about this, Some, in some cases asked for his help, and he hadn't done anything at the time, and should have. Yes. And should have. It's, you know, it's yes. a crime. <laughs> so should have reported it. Um, and we'll see how that plays out, but certainly I think any chances of a of speaker... Yeah, I think those are out the window at this point. <laughs> so what do you get? Your your report comes out, just so people know, 1230, right? Yes. Every day. Publishes at 1230. Um, and it's free. You can sign up going to The Hill, thehill.com, right? Yep. And it's supposed to be everything in national politics, but it's lunchtime. Everyone needs a little break, so I try to write it in a little funnier, lighter way, um, poke no, jokes do. at That's all the lawmakers. Like it. right. <laughs> no, it's irreverent. You sort of, you know, uh, make fun of everybody, sort of like we used to do on, when I had a show on CNN <laughs> called The Spin Room. Um, uh, what time do you get started? Um, I start around 
six or seven in the morning, depending on the day uh, when Congress is out, it can be a little later. So um, spend the afternoon kind of figuring out what's going on, going on in Washington for the next few weeks, look for events. And then the morning of try to figure out what are the morning newsletters covering and what will be the news between the morning newsletters and noon and try to figure out what exactly. So a lot of the morning newsletters are written the day before. So I try yeah. to say, right. here are the stories that they covered to say that they're going to be the news in the morning. But there have been updates. So now here's actually what the talk of the morning is. No, that's a great break. I mean, it's a great timing because it's often like our show, uh, 7 to 9 East Coast time. But often stuff breaks right after right after the show. <laughs> you know, we have to wait till the whole next day. You've got a new, new oh, yeah. newsletter out there. 9 a.m. is a big time for it. That's yeah, no, it really is. So check it out again. Go to thehill.com. Speaking of the Hill, this is the day I guess we're turning the program over to the Hill. Kate takes care of the 1230 report at the Hill. Uh, Jordan Fabian covers the White House for the Hill. And he joins us next. Your colleague, Jordan Fabian. Quick break. We'll be right back. Live video, Bill's commentary, the best clips from the show, all in one place. YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And here we go, wrapping up on this Wednesday, July 11. Uh, the uh, transatlantic brawl is already underway, otherwise known as the NATO summit uh, in Brussels. And we're keeping track of what's going on there. The president kind of uh, lobbing a few grenades uh, at the summit even before it began. It is The Bill Press Show. Coming to you live from our nation's capital, our studio in Capitol, on Capitol Hill, uh, right just down the street from the United States Capitol building, where we're brought to you today by the American Federation of Government Employees, the largest union uh, for federal employees, uh, the good men and women who keep our federal agencies running day in and day out under the leadership of President J. David Cox. Proud to get up and work for America every day. Check out their website at afge.org and join me in welcoming uh, to the studio our good friend who covers the White House for The Hill, thehill.com, uh, Jordan Fabian. So, Jordan, the whole gang is uh, over in Europe, right? Uh, starting out with Brussels today, with London in a couple of days or tomorrow, whenever, and then a little time out in Scotland. And then Helsinki and uh, Vladimir Putin. Can anything go wrong? Well, it already has if you're a <laughs> European ally. Uh, the president this morning met with this, the head of NATO, the secretary general, and he really laid into Germany and, and into the NATO alliance broadly, uh, saying that, you know, repeating his criticism that he feels like the U.S. is getting ripped off. And then he singled out Germany for this pipeline project they have with Russia to supply natural gas saying that Germany is, quote-unquote, captive to Russia. So uh, perhaps a little projection there, but uh, really setting the tone for a contentious summit this week. Uh, I thought it was uh, uh, noteworthy that uh, the head of the EU, Donald Tusk, uh, responded to the president um, saying, basically, be careful who you piss off because you may not have many friends left. Here he is. Dear America, appreciate your allies. After all, you don't have that many. <laughs> appreciate your allies. After all, you don't have that many. Uh, after this meeting, we may have fewer. That's right. And uh, I mean, that, I, I don't know if the president's going to go as far as not uh, you know, refusing to uphold the mutual defense 
pact of NATO or, or, or anything like that. But, of course, the, uh, the public criticism is something that the European allies don't like, and especially against the backdrop of the kind things that President Trump has said about Vladimir Putin heading into that summit. A lot of these allies are worried that the president might make concessions uh, to Vladimir Putin on things like Ukraine, uh, Syria, while at the same time wrapping these European allies over the knuckles uh, for defense spending. Right. In fact, he said, I don't know whether you were there at 7 o'clock yesterday morning when he walked out to uh, to Marine One to heading down to his Air Force base on his way to Brussels. When in talking about, uh, Ray, if we have that, talking about the week ahead, he pointed out uh, the meetings that are coming up. Uh, and as you indicate, uh, indicated, that uh, Putin might be uh, the easiest of all. Here he is. So I have NATO. I have the U.K., which is in somewhat turmoil. And I have Putin. Frankly, Putin may be the easiest of them all. Who would think? Who would think? Who would think? But, you know, the, uh, what, what kind of reaction do you get when you raise this issue? And I know you have at the White, at the White House, at the briefing set. So there was all this negative talk about China when he was a candidate, and then he meets with President Xi, and it's all sweetness and light. All these attacks against North Korea, and then he meets with Kim Jong-un, and we're the best buds. You know, all this talk about Russia, and now, of course, he's never been that critical about Russia, but now he's saying the best, the easiest meeting, and the one I'm looking forward to is Vladimir Putin. It's just going to be me and him, one-on-one. So at the same time, Justin, you name it, Justin Trudeau, Angela Merkel, Emmanuel Macron, Theresa May, he's slamming, or, or as you said, busting on the, on the knuckles, our allies, and cozying up to these thugs. What do they say about that? Well, I, I can tell you that the staff at the White House is, uh, <laughs> you know, they know, especially with Russia, given the Mueller investigation and, and the election interference, that the president's praise of Vladimir Putin does not play well. They know that and they understand it. Uh, so that's why a lot of them were nervous going into this trip yeah. about what he might say. And you look at that statement he made on the South Lawn and you could almost hint a little playfulness in the president's voice as if he knew that you know he he was sort of you know sort of giving the finger to us and 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 maybe even his staff too who mm-hmm. you, you know he's told he's contradicted on Russia many times i mean you remember that Washington Post article where you know he he congratulated Vladimir Putin on his reelection despite the staff writing in big capital letters to not congratulate Don't do it. right yeah. uh, so th- so this is sort of where that dynamic is at. Um, I'd also point out, though, that uh, y- y- the criticism of NATO for not NATO allies for not spending enough on defense is, isn't exclusive to Trump. This has been an issue for a long time. It's something that past presidents yeah. have raised. This this oil pipeline project with uh, Russia and Germany. That's something that uh, Secretary of State John Kerry criticized Germany for. It's not something the U.S. thinks is a good idea across administrations. The problem is. The uh, public way the president has been going about the criticism, it's not necessarily going to persuade these European allies to change course. You know, their their electorates back home don't like Donald Trump, and if they decide to make a concession to him, now it's viewed as caving to Donald Trump. And also, uh, it's coming against again against the backdrop of this praise of Russia. So uh, that's what I think makes this situation a bit different. From past times, U.S. presidents have said to NATO allies, hey, 
you guys got to pay more for defense or something like that. In fact, that's what puzzles me because, as you point out, this is this is an issue. First of all, it's a legitimate issue. It's been raised by other presidents. Um, President Obama did and pushed them, and in 2014 at their meeting in Wales, he got them to all agree that they all increase their spending to get above that 2% threshold. You know, we're now at 3.5. We are paying more than anybody else. They have to pay more, and they're starting to pay more. So in a sense, I think Donald Trump has already won this argument, Right. Right, and and that's what makes this and dynamic so a little puzzling. Yeah, right. Ex- that's what, that's what I'm at. That's what I find puzzling is he could almost take credit for, and thank them for what they're doing, and encourage them to do more, instead of the, all the negativity. Exactly. Um, this, you know, he, this is a president who likes to claim victory, even if whether this victory or not. So, uh, like, look at what he did after the Kim Jong Un summit. Yeah. So, right. wh- why not do something like that with with NATO? Is, is a great question. Uh, and, and I also point out that it's not really factually accurate what he's criticizing NATO allies for. Yes, there's only about three or four or five countries who have met this 2% threshold, but they're not required to meet that threshold until 2024. Mm-hmm. So it's when the president says these nations are delinquent and they're not paying yeah. their fair share. Well, I mean, it's they sort of have a long runway to do that. They have a few more years. So no one's really delinquent right now. And you could show that they have stepped up yes. since since 2014, right? Yes. So that's what <laughs> all of that is happening uh, at Brussels. And then we go on to London, where the president yesterday already sort of uh, said, well, Theresa May, it's up to the people of England whether or not she hangs around or not. But I really like that Boris Johnson. <laughs> right. <laughs> Right, I mean, he sort of goes out of his way, right? To, to, uh, to so he was asked. I think he was asked to comment on Boris Johnson, but he didn't have to sort of go yeah. that far, I guess. <laughs> uh, yeah, and again, this isn't something that I think people in the UK and 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 Europe are worried about too. Is you know, the president going there and weighing into that domestic political situation, uh, which is always uh, a dicey thing to do for a U.S. president going abroad, especially given the problems that the U.K. are having, not only with this uh, this leadership situation, but with Brexit and mm-hmm. what's the, do they go with a hard Brexit or a soft Brexit? Uh, there's That's a hot-button debate, and do they want the U.S. president, who, again, is very unpopular in the U.K., weighing in on that? Uh, I'm sure whichever side wants to win out would rather him stay out of the of the argument. Uh, and then the ultimate uh, the, the session that everyone's particularly nervous about is the, uh, as, as you pointed out, the summit with uh, with Vladimir Putin, uh, where Donald, it doesn't, it, what, is the White, what does the White House tell you? What is the agenda for this summit? Is there one? I mean. Well, so the, U, uh, the, the administration officials are sort of downplaying what the expectations are to come out of the summit. The, the line they keep saying, you know, in, in foreign relations, they love to talk about deliverables. What What is the U.S. going to get? A concrete yeah, achievement right. out of a summit, right? So the, the line has been, the summit is the deliverable. The fact that this is even happening is an achievement, which is a little silly given that the president has already met Vladimir Putin twice. This is not a, you know, yeah. historic yeah. summit or anything right. like that. Um, I, I think... You, you know, they acknowledge that Ukraine is going to be on the, on the table, Syria, and also the issue of election interference. And all of those are issues where 
the president has sometimes been at odds with his own team who've wanted to ratchet up pressure on Russia. On he has days. already said on yes. election interference. No, I asked Vladimir Putin about it, and he said they didn't do it. And he repeated that again. Uh, and, and yeah, and he repeated that again uh, last week. And and that's something right. so, again. So that's not going to be no an, an issue. I mean, but I mean, he basically said case closed. Vladimir Putin. I asked him. He said he didn't do it. Boom. I don't think you should expect the president to really press Vladimir Putin on this. Maybe he'll bring it up because it's on some kind of formal agenda, but I don't get the sense that. And even the Ukraine, I mean, the White House, the impression I get is that they've sort of said, yeah, well, Crimea is gone, right? Well, it's this weird, strange dynamic where the president's stance on this is not the same as his staff. The the staff has sort of had the the same stance that the Obama administration had, which is the, the Russia wrongly uh, mm-hmm. annexed Crimea during its military intervention of Ukraine in 2014. The president privately said at the G7, according to, I believe, our friends of the Washington Post, that, well, Crimea has a lot of Russian speakers there, so it really belongs to Russia. Uh, that's not, that's mm-hmm. that's sort of echoing yeah. the, the Russian talking points on that. Mm-hmm. So, right. it, you know, it, it's anyone's guess really how this is all going to end up. I mean, Look, people were really surprised when he came out of the Kim Jong-un summit and said, war games are over. I mean, who's to say he comes out of it and said, oh, you guys could keep Crimea? Yeah, I have to, I, 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 I have to laugh when you mentioned that line because uh, uh, they're trying to uh, resurrect the uh, – there's an effort right now. I think – and I hope it works to, to um, resurrect the McLaughlin group. Oh. Uh, and I was uh, a guest last week on, on uh, one of the pilot programs of the it's, – it's, it's up on, uh, online. Now. Yeah, we tweeted it out. So if you want to see, you can look at. Is at it still up there? Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, and it's shown here locally on on Channel Seven. But anyway, we were talking about uh, this upcoming summit about Crimea, uh, and Pat Buchanan said something like, "Well, you know, Russia's not a threat anymore." And I said, "Yeah, tell the people of the Baltics that Russia is not a threat. Tell the people of Ukraine uh, or Crimea that Russia's not a threat." And Pat's response <laughs> was, "People of Crimea seem happy." To- Look happy, you know. They they seem happy, yeah. I and I should have said, yeah. That's what they said about the slaves, right? Singing in their fields on the plantations too, right? Yeah, they've been annexed. But but that is the line. Hey, people in Crimea, a lot of them speak Russian. They're very happy. So, what's wrong with that, right? Right. And, and sort of glossing over the fact that this was taken in, uh, yeah, by a hostile act. By a hostile act. Right. Uh, no, we got to move on there because other stuff uh, happening, which is. Uh, I don't know. Maybe before he got on the plane or on, from on the plane, President Obama, uh, President Obama, President Trump, back with a new couple of pardons, very a couple of very unusual pardons for a couple of ranchers out in Oregon. Fit the pattern of pattern so of pardons so far. It it does, Bill. The, the a lot of these pardons, uh, aside from this Alice Johnson pardon and, and the Jack Johnson pardon, have been uh, politically motivated, I guess you would say. People whose uh, causes have been championed by conservative media or people who are political allies of of friends of Trump, essentially. Right. So So, Joe Arpaio. Yes. Scooter Libby. Scooter Libby. The the saucier, the the Navy... the Navy guy with the classified yeah, information. Yeah, forgot about him, yes. right? And then Dinesh D'Souza. Dinesh D'Souza, right? yes. And the latest are uh, Hartman, Hartman and his, Dwight Hartman, Hammond, rather, Hammond, and his son, Stephen Hammond. Right, and this is the case that sort of 
generated that whole controversy in 2016 that led to the Eamon Bundy standoff and at the at the uh, wildlife refuge in, yes. in a very remote part of, part of Oregon. But the, it, 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 again, you ask like Scooter Libby or Joe Arpaio or whatever, were they worthy of a pardon? These two ranchers were <laughs> convicted of arson. Uh, they had set a fire on their property, which ended up spreading into the thousands of acres of federal land. Uh, convicted, served a, about a year, and then they were let out. But it was a minimum five-year sentence, and so then they were put back in prison. And you're right, that triggered the uh, uh, the taking of this refuge. Um, but like the, the Trump administration has has said, this this was a um, Justice was not served in that case. Yeah, right? I mean, they, they said were the victims of the. Yeah, they said that you know prosecution was overzealous and sort of making the case that way. Um, again, the the this this the the the, the pardon process has been really uh, interesting because you know the president, I guess President Obama, people he he gained criticism for this uh, you know effort to sort of pardon these. A lot of these drug offenders from some law and order conservatives, nonviolent drug offenders, yes, right. um, serving time in prison. Yes, um, but that was through a Justice Department process where they had to apply for clemency and they had to express remorse for what they did. Uh, that process still exists, but the president's uh, actions have been with a lot of people who haven't expressed remorse or gone through that process. Uh, so he's sort of look. He, the Constitution gives him this power. But he's gone around the process that's been put in place to yeah. sort of make this a, no, a thing. You're right. Yeah. He's ignoring that entire process, right? The yes. people that he's pardoned have none of them have come out of that process. Correct. They're all brought to his attention by conservative media, and they're basically, it looks like a, he's using it as a political tool, right, to reward, uh, to reward his supporters. Uh, and most of the president's time in the last 10 days or so has been involved with Picking, uh, making his pick for the Supreme Court. Um, NBC reports that the fix was in with Anthony Kennedy, uh, that they have sort of had a conversation. Look, if you step down now, uh, we can make a deal and get one of your former clerks on the bench, just like Neil Gorsuch, who is already one, one of your former clerks who is already on the bench. Is the White House uh, denying that any such deal was made? They have denied that, and I think NBC actually had to issue a correction on that report, really? too. Really? Yeah, so, okay. Even so, I, I don't— But Kavanaugh was a— uh, He was a Kennedy it, clerk, he was but, a Kennedy it, but it's clerk. not unheard of for you know a former justice's clerk to then get on the court. I, I don't— Maybe unheard of for two of them to be on the court. Maybe I I just don't I don't know it's, yeah. so, it's sort of like a whatever for me I you yeah. know I I think if you, you know, Democrats are really uh, grasping for ways to try to stop this nomination because uh, the the, you know, the filibuster for uh, judicial nominations has right. been blown up right so so to be fair I haven't heard uh, many if any Democrats using that as a as an argument against Kavanaugh yeah. but it's just from a media point of view I just I was curious as to what the White House has been saying about oh yeah so the, yeah the, NBC reported it they have denied they have denied the report and look obviously they've denied things that are true yeah. so their credibility is a bit awash but uh, I, but I, it's unclear sort of what happened there so here's what surprised me a little bit about this now I wonder your take on it too is of the final four nominees, uh, Donald Trump is 
the outsider taking on the Washington establishment, certainly not part of the Washington establishment. He picked the one guy who really is an establishment George W. Bush kind of Republican in Brett Kavanaugh. So it sort of was out of step with what you would expect from a Donald Trump. Why? Do you agree and why? Yeah, no, I, I do agree with that. And I think in a lot of cases, in some cases this is not true, but in many cases it is, the president will talk a big game about doing things differently and shaking things up and then go with the conventional conservative choice. Mm-hmm. I mean, look at the tax reform. Uh, that's a great example of that. Uh, you know, first talking about a complete rewrite of the tax code and then sort of went with your more And also said he would never sign a bill that didn't have funding for the wall in it. Right. So a lot of these examples you could point to, yeah. uh, you know, he sort of ta- said one thing and then did, an- did the conventional thing, and this is a- another example of that. That being said, it's something that has really galvanized the conservative and Republican base. I-, I think it's something, aside from, you know, a few people like Rand Paul, people are very happy with this pick, and uh, the conservative movement has sort of been fractured by Donald Trump. This is one thing they can all agree on. Uh, and um, how much effort now that he's done this do you think uh, the White House uh, is, uh, is is he the president going to go full bore out for Kavanaugh do you expect I think so I mean the White House uh, I was talking to Mark Short in the East Room after the ceremony on Monday right. night Mark Short who is the, the legislative director he's right. the guy who's in charge with dealing with the yeah. the lawmakers and, and what he's saying is they're, they're hitting the ground running they're going to be reaching out to these uh, senators who are thought to be swing voters and really making uh you know all out full co- you know full court press to get them on board with this nominee. So uh, it's going to be something that is dominating the summer into the fall and uh and, and you can expect I think the president too to make this an issue when he's going around the country campaigning for senators running for re-election. It's going to be a big issue in the midterms. Uh, I want to go back to some of that campaigning in just a second, but in terms of uh, Donald Trump's impact, no matter what else he accomplishes or doesn't accomplish, uh, if he gets a second person on the Supreme Court, th- that 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 seals his legacy, a good part of his legacy, for a long time. Undoubtedly, I undoubtedly. I mean, these are lifetime appointments, and yeah. uh, if he's, I, I think Neil Gorsuch has proven that he's the conservative stalwart that the president wanted. Uh, we don't know about. Uh, Kavanaugh yet, but if he turns out um, the way that he hopes, yeah, sure, the president will have shifted the Supreme Court to the right, and that's you know something that he promised to do. And and look, these guys again, it could be the case for a generation. Right. No, and I I think we know that uh, at least I believe that Kavanaugh would not be on the list uh, if he were not a conservative in the mold of a Scalia and, and like Gorsuch's, and and uh, people are saying that. Uh, what was it yesterday? Axios. Axios did a, a review of all the decisions and writings of all, all the members of the court, and they put Neil Gorsuch in that mix. And and he comes out, Neil Gorsuch, as the second most conservative, Clarence Thomas being the most conservative, Neil Gorsuch second, even more conservative than Antonin Scalia already. Yeah. So... So if, if Brett Kavanaugh is anywhere in that in that close to that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the court will be shifted as far to the right as it's been for decades, and will remain there for decades. 
That's right. right. And, and um, so, I mean, Donald Trump, whatever you think of him, that legacy, that uh, he'll have a pro profound impact. Absolutely. Right. Um, and uh, and he knows that, I think. Right. Yeah, and that, that's why he gets so, uh, you, you know, he's very, you know, we, we were just saw, we, were, we were talking before we came on about his demeanor at the NATO conference, yeah. sort of looking downtrodden. Uh, he, that's not the case at the Supreme Court announcements. He's very happy, and yeah. uh, you know he he understands that this is a big part of his legacy. Uh, now you mentioned about the uh, the, the uh, campaign rallies, that, and he's had uh, several of them lately. He was just out of Montana, and he was in forget where else he's been. But um, he, the one thing that he enjoys more than anything, it seems, is campaigning. Right? I mean, he's an almost a born campaigner. Absolutely, yes, yes. And he gets in front of those crowds, no teleprompter, and just riffs for an hour. That's what he loves. And, and you almost get the feeling Is, that Are it's we going to see more of that? Uh, yes, I, I think you're, you are going to see more of it just by nature of the campaign season uh, fast approaching. But there's still a question of how many of these candidates running um, are going to want the president to come campaign for them. Uh, there are some places where the president doesn't play well. There are some places that he does. Uh, I think, and we've seen already, the president go to states like Montana and North Dakota, excuse me, mm -hmm. where um, you know Democrats are running in states that he won. I think you're you're going to see that rather than him, uh, more of that rather than him campaigning for Republican incumbents, because a lot of those incumbents are in states where their purple states maybe are states that he lost. So uh, Nevada is a good example of that with with Dean Heller. Um, so that, I think that's the dynamic to look for heading into the fall. So they'll be picking picking uh, where he obviously uh, any president would do the same thing, picking the states where they think he can do them do the most good, or the least damage. Exactly, good, <laughs> good way of putting it, Bill. <laughs> All right, uh, great to see you. Well, you've got a little time, uh, a little more free time maybe while the president's overseas. Right. Yeah. yeah but he's got to know. keep up with what he's doing, just doing it long distance, huh? Exactly. Jordan, great job at the White House. Thank you so much. And you can follow Jordan at the Hill, thehill.com. Have a great Wednesday, folks. We'll be here tomorrow, and we'll be looking this for you. Is the Bill Press Show.